0: Gospel, Mark's Gospel in chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. We're also going to be reading from 1 Samuel 21, which is in the midst of the Old Testament, where maybe your fingers haven't gone just so lately, uh, but you might want to turn there as well to 1 Samuel 21, which will follow directly behind this reading. Mark 2, verse 23. Now it happened that... Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? how he went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who are with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, to familiarize us with what Jesus quotes there, we read from 1 Samuel 21 and verses 1 to 6. To set the scene, David is fleeing from King Saul. His life is under threat. He has just parted from the king's son, Jonathan, whom he loved as a dear friend to himself, and he is going forth. Now, David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. That's the same name, just a different translation of it. Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech, The priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, or I have commanded you. I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it is consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Amen. The Lord bless his word. Of the Lord in prayers, pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can come boldly into your presence in the name and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he is at rest at your right hand. He has conquered sin. He is triumphant over death. And he waits only till his enemies have made his footstool before he shall return again. And Lord, as we hear his words this morning, We pray, O Lord, that he would be truly recognized as the Lord that he is, even Lord of the Sabbath. And Lord, that you would help us to apply your word to our lives as you see fit. Lord, not as others may judge us or look upon our lives, but Lord, we must give an account unto him. So Lord, may you examine our hearts, rebuke our spirits, Encourage us, Lord, where our attitudes are right and proper towards you. The Lord, we may know rest in our souls. The rest that truly comes through knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives. We pray, Lord, too, for the children as they hear your word this morning, as they are reminded of your holiness, that, Lord, you would speak to their hearts. Lord, we know without holiness... No one can see the Lord. We thank you that holiness is provided in Christ for each who would come and trust in him. Lord, help them to see this and to come to know you as Lord and Savior of their lives, not just for one day, but Lord, for the whole of their eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to this passage this morning. We're looking at Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. Don't be put off by the fact this is part one. We're not going through this section again, but the next section deals with the Lord of the Sabbath as well. And so we deal with this first part, and then the second that comes from it and flows out of it. This happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now we can establish here the general timing of the records recorded in Mark 2, verses 23 to 27. Knowing that the grain is ripe, that sets the period of time somewhere between the spring and the summer of the year. More probably the spring, but it really doesn't matter in that regard. Because it's not the time of year that is so crucial as the time of the week when these events happened. They happened on the Jewish Sabbath, that is the Saturday. That was the last day of the creation the seventh day, and the Jews rested on the seventh day. We are growing up in a time when we know we rest on a Sunday. Following the resurrection of Christ, the Christians met together on the first day of the week, and so it has become the pattern of the church through the centuries that Christians should rest on the Sunday. So it has relevance to us. It was a day on which Jesus led his disciples on the next part of his journey through some grain fields, and it gave rise to the question... Look, why do your disciples do what is not lawful on the Sabbath, as we find in verse 24. And it leads to Mark recording how Jesus explained the disciples' actions on the Sabbath. And today, as I've already mentioned, countries shaped by Christian influence in their history take the first day of the week as their day of rest. And you find that throughout Europe, for instance, and in parts of the United States and various parts you would see the Sabbath as remembered. It's certainly the day the churches meet together and come together to worship God. Uh, This is the day that is recognized by them. And it is linked together uh, with Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. But alongside this recognition of a need of a day of rest in line with who Jesus is, there are many Christians who continue to question the actions of other Christians in relation to what they do or don't do on the Sunday, the Christian Sabbath. This differs from country to country. Even within a small, relatively small area like the United Kingdom, patterns have been different at times between England and Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland, and they all do things slightly differently. And even today, there would be differences in the manner in which the Sabbath is kept. Uh, when you, if you were in some parts of, the northern, parts of Scotland in days earlier in, not this century, in the mid, mid part of last century, you would have found all the swings were tied up. And no one could sit on a swing on a Sunday. Uh, things like that you would see, and you might not have seen that in parts of England, for instance, and other places. So there were differences even in that. For those who follow Jesus then, as his disciples, wherever he leads their lives, Jesus' response in this passage clarifies our own Sabbath actions. What we personally choose to do or see as right to do before God on the Sabbath. First we see this as we look at Jesus' explanation of the Sabbath in these verses, And then as we come to application, we'll see Jesus' clarification of Sabbath actions in relation to various parts that we try and use to to show us practically how this works out in our lives today. Jesus' explanation then of the Sabbath actions. The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath is a key part to these verses here. But it begins with a controversial action. Verse 23, at Hammond he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as he went his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. At first that doesn't appear to be controversial to you, but it was controversial to the Pharisees. Actually the controversy was not over the actions of the disciples as they passed through the grain fields following Jesus. Uh, They were committing no illegal act, this wasn't stealing, as they plucked the grains of head from the edge of the farmer's field. The law of God had provided this grain for them and other travelers. And you can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verses 24 to 25. When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, not just the grain field, but vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So What they were doing was within the law, the context of the law. The controversy is clearly over the day on which they did it, the Sabbath, which God has set apart as a holy day. You read that in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He set it apart from all the other days for a day of rest. The Pharisees considered, though, the action of these disciples to come under the terms of work. Now, they would not have appealed to a verse of Scripture for that, for it would be difficult to really contextualize what they had done to be in that way. I suppose they might have appealed to Exodus 34 and verse 21, six days you shall work, on the seventh you shall rest, in plowing and in harvest you shall rest. But these men were not farmers. Well, I don't know if all the disciples you could say that of, but certainly that was not what they were doing this day. They were not dressed in their working gear, as it were. They hadn't got their scythes in their hands. They were simply going through the fields. They were not about that business. Their business was following Jesus. Instead, the Pharisee's question was based on a catalogue of 39 principal works under which there were six Minor categories under each of those 39 works which describe what may or may not be done within the context of the Sabbath. The rabbis had gathered these up together over the years. Uh, the teachers of Israel, as they were. They had drawn these up in accordance with this. Even if you reached out your hand to pluck a grain of wheat and rub it in your hands, you were freshing the grain. Therefore, you were working. And they had reinterpreted the law according to their own knowledge. Their knowledge of this list of traditions caused the Pharisees to question why Jesus did not forbid his disciples from engaging in this forbidden activity that they were doing. It was so harmful to be rubbing a piece of grain between your hands and putting it to your mouth and eating it. Which brings Jesus to respond with a biblical illustration. Sorry, I pressed my button too early. Biblical illustration. He said to them... Have you not read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? In response, Jesus challenges their tradition with Scripture. He draws attention to the events that are recorded, as we read in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6. David, chosen to be the next king, anointed by God, was fleeing from the presence of Israel's present king, Saul. He would not lay a hand on God's anointed, therefore he fled. He and the men with him were in such a hurry, they hadn't any time to gather sufficient supplies. David didn't even have a sword with him. He gathered one from this place. He and his men with him uh, came en route. They came to this place called Nob. It was a place where the priests appeared to have set up a form of ta- the tabernacle, which had previously uh, suffered in the days of Saul. And so as they took were serving there, David came to them, And they were entered into the place. He asked for the bread, as we read, but there wasn't any. There was nothing sufficient just there at hand to supply them. There were no packed lunches sufficient to raid from the priests and bring that out. They would have ate the bread that was now here, the show bread that had been taken from the table in the midst of the tabernacle setting before the presence of the Lord. And they would have taken that bread and eaten it for themselves. They were entitled to do so. But seeing David's men in genuine need, the priest makes simple inquiry and he gave unto them the bread. Even though in the letter of the biblical law, not the traditions, the biblical law, David was not entitled, nor his men. They were not priests and they were not of the priestly families. Therefore, they were not entitled to eat of this bread. It was not set aside for them, but they did. And answering it in this way, Jesus brings to mind the scripture and makes the point that there's no mention here, is there, of any condemnation. In fact, this is the one that God said, it's the man after my own heart. And actually the actions of David are recorded in such a manner following this and before this to show a man who is seeking after God's will, not his will, in his life it's not condemned and so they go on answering this way then it's reminded in that way and Jesus the passage illustrates that within the law there is the understanding that life is more holy than bread that the person's life is more valuable to god than even that which is consecrated in the worship of god God values life more than bread. Recording the same events, Matthew records in his gospel following those words, If you had known what this means in chapter 12 and verse 7, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus' point of his illustration is these men are guiltless. Why are they eating on the Sabbath day? Hungry. Their stomachs are rumbling. They've been walking behind me. Maybe they've been busy the night before. We are not told. But they're hungry. So they reach out their hands and they take it and they rub the grain in their hands and they put it to their mouths and eat. You have to be pretty hungry to want to eat a grain of wheat when you could have had a meal along the way or something else. They were satisfied simply to have that in their hands. These men were hungry. The third thing that is here is the creational clarification. I keep pressing the button and I shouldn't. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Again, he takes it back into the Scriptures. It was God who made the Sabbath as the final act of creation. Genesis 2, 1-3, to Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God created and made. And as you read through Genesis 1, you find that includes the first man and woman. Male and female, he created them. They were made. So on the first Sabbath, there was no work to do. There were no weeds to pull. There were no things to go out and purchase or work or labor for. There was simply an enjoyment of the pleasure of the provision of God. They rested within the provisions. They were not restricted by any boundary from enjoying all that God had given unto them. And Jesus connects this directly to himself, saying, therefore. Therefore, whenever you see that word, you go back to the previous statement and find out what it's there for. It's there because God had set apart the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Or as another translation puts the same words, so then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Pharisees would have understood now, Jesus is speaking about himself. The Son of Man is a term taken from the Old Testament. It's put down particularly clearly in Daniel 7 and verses 13 to 14. I was watching in the night vision, said Daniel, and behold one like the Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given the dominion and glory and king, a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is the authority of the Lord of the Sabbath, the Son of Man. All dominion has been given to him as it is said in Daniel there. And thus, Jesus is not just Lord of a day. He's Lord of the Sabbath, of the rest, the ultimate rest. The rest which is pictured in Genesis 1, that God created everything and then he rested, and that rest seems to be without end in the Hebrew language. So in the, when this creation is finished, it will end, Christ will bring in the rest, the eternal rest, the complete rest, not just for a day of the week, but forever, where we will enjoy the privileges and blessings of God. And he was speaking in this sense, He is Lord of the Sabbath. And the disciples, as they were walking through the grain fields were experiencing part of that that day. Did Jesus say to them, "Stop doing that"? No. They were enabled to enjoy the provisions of God in the presence of God on the Sabbath day. So there's a scriptural clarification of the matter, which brings us then to Jesus' clarification of our actions of the Sabbath actions. Sabbath was not made for man. It uh, was made for man, sorry, not man for the Sabbath. We continue to witness controversial actions. No, we don't see people walking through the grain fields and picking off the heads, and we say, well, they shouldn't be doing that. Around these parts, it's mainly grass fields, so that doesn't really taste the same, does it, for a start. But that's the nature of the days have changed. As the disciples were reading those things, the law of God had provided for their need. And as we come into the New Testament, we find that God continued to provide for the needs of his people. That's behind what's written in Acts 4 and verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul, neither did anyone say the things he possessed was his own, but as they had all things in common. They shared their resources as one had need. There were still wealthy people and still poor people within the church, but they shared together. God had provided for them. And there also remains the ongoing question then about the actions of the followers of Jesus on the Sabbath or the Sunday for us. As the law states, we have six days to work and earn our living or gather what we need. And we are all responsible for doing that. As adults, children, they are let off of this, aren't they? We are responsible for doing that, for making sure of the provision that we need. But then, you go out of church in a little while. It will be a little while, honestly. And you will see someone maybe on, else from church on Sunday. I'm not saying I've seen anyone doing this, in case you think I'm condemning you. I haven't seen anyone doing this particularly on a Sunday, but I'm bringing out an illustration here. You see them out in their working clothes. Maybe you see Simeon out in his alarm band, I have seen that. Or you see them going into a shop. Or heading into a restaurant for a meal. Or carrying their suitcase to their car to put it into the back of their car to go on holiday. And you might feel like coming to the pastor and saying, I think you need to do a series on the Christian and the Sabbath. Because you would never do those things. Maybe pause for a moment and ask yourself this what is my motivation for my attitude in that way? Who am I looking to benefit here? The person I saw? Jesus or myself? If the answer were Jesus or the person involved, would you not pray for that individual? And if appropriate, speak to them privately about the matter and and inquire of them, why, why were you doing that? Maybe you saw them doing something that was completely legitimate and, and didn't need to be condemned in your heart in that way. Or maybe they've never understood. What if what you never spoken to them of it? But if it's simply the case you want to display their actions and you've told as many people as possible you saw them doing these things, and you've publicly drawn attention to what they're doing, then are you not serving yourselves just like the Pharisees did? What they were doing? They wanted to place themselves on an equal footing with Jesus Christ. You can't do that. He is Lord, and they were not Lord, and would never be Lord. Responding to the... uh, Sorry, I lost my place in my notes. So, but if you want... Yes, yes, (laughs) sorry. Could it also be then we're in danger then of defending a tradition instead of honoring God's law and Jesus' testimony? thing with the things I've raised there is that they are all legitimate actions and wholesome actions on any other day of the week, aren't they? There's nothing there that is condemned in the Ten Commandments as far as taking them as they are at face value. To work, to go to work is a good thing. To have a holiday is not forbidden. To go out for a meal is not forbidden. None of these things are forbidden. But it is a, a matter of the day of the week that is the issue. So, with that in mind, we can all be helped then with this biblical illustration of Jesus. Have you never read that David did when he was in need and those with, and those with him, when they were in need and hungry? Remember this. A biblical text without its context can become a pretext for an unholy belief and action. It is very important we keep biblical texts not only in the chapter they're written, but in the Bible in which they're contained. We need to keep them in the context. Responding to the Pharisees' concern, Jesus placed this then against David's unholy action of eating the showbread. And Jesus' answer drew that attention the fact there's no record of God condemning that action. It's recorded there, and Jesus uses it. It seems to bring validation to the actions that are there uh, from God. He says, if you'd known what this meant, I desire mercy instead of sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Now, while there are clearly things in the command of God that we are to honor in the Sabbath and that we should keep from doing, there are also times when God desires mercy then and not sacrifice in our actions. We should avoid continually working on a Sunday. We should. We should avoid going shopping on a Sunday or heading to the restaurant for a meal or making that the beginning of traveling day of our holiday to go away. What is the reason for that? Well we may not be feeling we're working, but we are causing others to work. Are we not? It's their place of business? It's their working activity. It is not an essential. It is not necessary. It is not necessary on the basis of what God has provided in his world. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh you shall rest. And that's a, a statement of our creation. That's the way the world was made, the way that God did it. But where a life is at stake, Work is essential. In nature, a care home, it is essential. Hospital, it is essential. Even the doctor on their day off, or the nurse, sitting down for a cup of tea after the church service on their day off, is allowed to talk to a person across the table about the medical thing that's troubling them. It is okay. That is within the provision of God. The Pharisees would have said that was working. But it's a matter of life. Life is more holy, precious to God. For the tradesman to make a prop- property safe, to go and repair that alarm that's bothering all the neighbors and making that business vulnerable to theft, that's okay. Because they're doing something that's valuable to life, repairing a pipe that is flooding a house. Aren't you glad that that's okay? Especially if you get home and find, sorry, I don't mean to put that in your minds, but it could happen, couldn't it? There are essentials, there are things that need to be done. There are very few occasions when I was ever asked to run on a Sunday or asked to go out on a Sunday, but there were emergencies that occurred. And on those very rare occasions, I would indeed head out and go and sort the matter out. Life was endangered, or someone was made to be vulnerable, it needed to be done. If it could wait till Monday, it waited till Monday. The parent who has had an unexpected bout of illness with their children and now needs to go and find some essential supplies. The nappies didn't last the weekend, and their children are in need. The medication that they require, even the food. That was is not suitable or something of that nature it may be necessary. Inviting people to your home for a meal is all right for all of us, even those who work as chefs and cooks. It's okay. You're not working. You're entertaining the lives of people. Traveling with all haste to the side of a close relative or friend in need so that you're... For your, who need your presence in time of crisis or driving someone else to that relative. These things are good. Even if you had to get on a plane on a Sunday and travel halfway around the world, as some people have had to do, surely these things are in the spirit of what is spoken here. We have to be clear, don't we? Six days we shall work, on the seventh we shall rest. But the scripture gives us a context for these actions. Working on a Sunday is not to be our habit. We have a Sabbath. It is a created thing. But also, it is something of Christ. Life is more holy to God than the bread or even a day. It is precious to him. Jesus even pointed out on another occasion that if a farmer should have an animal that has fallen into a ditch, is he going to let it suffer on the Sunday? Certainly not. God expects that animal to be pulled out of a ditch and to be made sure it's cared for and looked after. If God so cares for these things. Surely he intends us to care for our lives. We continue then to need some creational clarification as well. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath is not a law that man was made to obey. It was a provision that God gave us. It was the final act of his creation. And how we treat our Sunday either upholds that fact or diminishes the significance and relevance to creation. Who gains if you don't keep a day set apart that God has set out in his scriptures? Who benefits? Well, it's not God. It has to be those who would say today, well, you're evolved, you know. There's no difference between one day or the other. There's nothing in your creation or anything about you that dictates that you should have this day. And if you look through the history of uh, Marxism and various other ways of atheism in this world, many have tried to change the pattern of life and failed. It is a creative institution. Even in upholding a day set apart as we do, we proclaim the Creator is our God. God has always provided all so sufficient resources and we should proclaim that in our actions. Six days to meet our needs and on the seventh we can rest. And the Christians should recognize this. There was a very clear illustration given in Exodus. The manna fell from heaven. It fell six days of the week. You collected what you needed for the next day and only that and if you collected more than that and you had some spare it would go moldy. The only difference was on this fri- on the Friday, when you could collect twice as much as usual. Not only for the Friday, but for the sab- Sabbath on the Saturday, and it did not turn to worms, and it was not destroyed. We find there that he who gathered little had no lack, and every man gathered according to to each one's need. Jesus collects himself to this. Practical aspect, doesn't he? So then the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. That reminds us, we are answerable to the Lord of the Sabbath about the actions we take in it. Lord means master. One over us in authority. We are responsible to him. You're not responsible to me. You're not responsible to anyone else here. You're responsible to the Lord of the Sabbath. Do your actions reflect the fact that Jesus has come to bring rest? Not just for one day of the week, but eternal rest. That it isn't just a matter that you were created in this way to have 6 days and a day of rest, but that Christ has come to bring you complete rest. As in the beginning. This is a free provision of God. There is no charge in it. There is nothing that's meant to be a burden to us in it. It is free that man may enjoy the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You are free in it to take rest and to eat of the provision that God has given you. We're very blessed to live even in this time when they tell us all about the cost of living and the rest of it to live in the land with so much provision of God. It's wonderful to be able to have a day when you can actually stop running around like a headless chicken, as farmers would say, and actually rest in what you have. To enjoy your family, to enjoy fellowship with Christian brothers and sisters, and to remind yourself, one day the labor will be over, And all this will be done, and we shall rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. It will all be finished. The wonderful thing to look forward to. There is nothing in Jesus' words that suggests that this is to be a burden, or to be hard work, or to be difficult. Simply resting in him. The disciples were experiencing here what relatively few have experienced in this life. They were physically walking with God and enjoying a foretaste of rest and the peace that he was going to bring. They hadn't had a better day than the days they had with Jesus, surely? As they walked with him and they talked with him, as the hymn writer says, they had a wonderful blessing to be there. Is that what you enjoy about your Sunday? It's Not just about having time to ourselves. Do you enjoy being with Jesus? See, we're so busy in our lives with the activities of life, we cannot possibly enjoy being with Jesus as we can on a Sunday or a day of rest in those times in the same manner. Do you enjoy being with Jesus? Because, my dear friends, that's what the Christian's hope surely is. There remains, therefore, says the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 9, a rest for the people of God. You lay comfortable on your bed at night, but you have never known a rest. That is spoken of such as is found here. It is a rest in being in the presence of Jesus Christ forever. No clock on the wall to say the service is over. No time to finish. No work approaching the next day to disturb that rest. No circumstance to overtake. A rest without end. Friend, have you ever known that this is what Jesus came to bring? You see, in this world, we are slaves to sin. And sin uses even the law of the Sabbath to make it hard work for us. To make it difficult for us. And it becomes a burden, because we're trying to do the right thing on the Sabbath, but none of us will ever get it completely right. If that was possible, there would be no need for Jesus to come and die for us if we could uphold the law of God, but we cannot uphold that law. Jesus came and died upon the cross of Calvary as the Lord of the Sabbath. He said at the conclusion of those events on the cross, "It." is finished. The work is done. The labor is ended. It is finished. And that is what he would say unto our hearts and lives. You are toiling and struggling and trying to be good and to be the best you can. Dear friend, you will never accomplish it. Christ has died and given himself that you may have eternal rest free from sin forever and it doesn't cost you anything but it cost him everything. Dear friend, we need to trust in him. We're looking at someone and we're saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Let us not bring unto them a word of condemnation but a word of exhortation. Dear friend, Would it not be better for you to be resting on the Lord's day, to be enjoying the Lord's presence, to be fellowshipping with God's people? Look what you're missing out on. Look what you could be enjoying. These things aren't easy, either, are they? There are some mothers and fathers probably sitting here thinking to themselves, I wish I could have a moment or two rest. It isn't easy. Praise God, he is Lord of the Sabbath. So it is his gift to give and his to help us enjoy. And may he do so. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the words of Jesus. We have often heard, maybe even to our own lives, the words of the Pharisees asking why we do this and why we do that and why we do the other. We thank you, Lord, that you bring us back to the word of God. You remind us really what it is all about. The Sabbath is the provision of God that we may rest in it. Lord, it's also a provision that is found fulfilled in Christ. And Lord, may each of us look forward today to the rest that is set ahead of us. Lord, in the busyness of being a parent, and the struggles of keeping children entertained and keeping them, Lord, from fighting with one another or whatever else may occur, may we remember that one day it will not be like this, but all should be changed. As we visit loved ones who may be in distress, struggling with life, may we remember, too, that it will not always be like this. There will be rest. As we may be worried about tomorrow, and all the pain that it has to bring to us and the busyness of our calendar, may we remember. It will not always be like this. Lord, we shall be able to enjoy the wonder of the true Sabbath rest as we bow before the feet of him who is Lord of the Sabbath. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together as we conclude